Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the South Sports and Stuff podcast. This is the inaugural edition. I thank you for downloading, listening, however you're finding it. It really matters to me. It means a lot to me. I really want you to be a part of this journey that we're going to share together, something that I've been thinking about doing for quite a while, and now it's finally here. It's a chance for me to talk with some really interesting people with some amazing stories, things that happen in their life, their life in general, and I think something that you're going to be really interested in hearing about. Some will be incredibly powerful and emotional. Some will be incredibly uplifting. Some will have all of that together. Some people will be Buffalo people. Some won't. Some will be sports people. Some won't. It really doesn't matter. My goal, my aim here is just to interview really interesting people to share their stories for whatever reason that is that I think you're going to be interested in and you're going to want to engage with and take with you and listen wherever you are. The very first one that I'm going to have for you today is a man named Joe Lazito. Joe actually happens to be a Buffalo Bills fan, but he doesn't live in Buffalo. That's how I found out about his story. Joe has written a book about his experience, and that experience includes a near-death experience at the hands of a mass murderer. He was involved in a situation on a New York subway back in 2011. He was stabbed multiple times. The person who stabbed him was actually on a 24, 28-hour killing spree, and Joe was his next intended victim. He obviously survived, which is why I'm able to talk to him today on the first edition of the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. Joe actually visited Buffalo for the very first time back in early July. We got together at the WGR and Entercom Studios. I sat down with him. I chatted with him about the situation, what happened that particular day, and now his life afterwards. It's an amazing story. It's powerful. It's incredible. It's emotional. And of course, one I think you're really going to be interested in hearing about. Here's Joe Lazito, the New York subway hero, on the very first South Sports and Stuff podcast. He's been called the New York subway hero, and he joins me here today to talk about his story and uh, really shed some light on what was, I'm sure, quite a traumatic day in his life and some of the events that unfolded. Tell me about, Joe, how that day started for you, February 12th, 2011. Um, it was. It started like any other day. At the time, I was living in Philadelphia. We were living in Philadelphia, and I was commuting to New York. Um, so uh, I, I work at Lincoln Center in New York, and basically it was uh, just a typical day. I drive to, from Philadelphia to New Jersey, jump on the train from New Jersey to New York, jump on the subway, I'm at work. That's normally how the day went. Mm-hmm. So that particular day, uh, everything was going according to plan uh, until I got to Penn Station. And uh, when I got to Penn Station and I went to get the subway, uh, the way the subways run in New York, for if people aren't familiar with it, um, there's express lines and there's local lines. So normally uh, the train I get, it, I would take a local train. Um, but that day they were doing construction on the local, so every train was running express. So it didn't matter which track I went on. So I could have stayed on the track I normally take, but in my head, I'm thinking, well, let me go to the express track because two trains run on that track. One train runs on the local. Never had done that before, and I haven't done it since. But that particular day, I said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go on the express track. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, I go on the track, and um, subway comes, and uh, I go in. I sit down, and I sit down right behind the engineer. So the only thing separating me from the engineer is a wall. And uh, we don't move right away. And then I notice two police officers get on the subway also. Now, I've been on the subway plenty of times when cops get on the subway. They normally stay inside the car, you know, with the passengers. But this particular day, they went in with the engineer. And we still didn't move right away. You know, normally subways, if you've ever been on it, you're in, you're out, you know, 30 seconds. Still didn't move. Finally, we we, doors close, and we start to go. And we're going very, very slow. 
I mean, like crawling. Noticeably slow? Like, Notice- like, like you, there was something like, hey, why are we going so slow type deal? Noticeably slow. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't so much that, well, we're going to start slow and then pick up speed. We were just going very slow. And I could hear on the other side of the door the the uh, cops' radios. They were blasting. They were just – it was constant chatter, chatter, chatter. And the next thing I know, this guy walks up to the door where the engineer is and the cops are. There's a window there. And this guy bangs on the door, and he says, let me in. The cop on the other side says, who are you? He says, I'm the police. So they're talking through a window right now, except the guy on my side of the car thinks he's talking to the engineer. He doesn't know that there's a cop behind the door. Was the was the car moving at the time? Very slowly. Okay, yeah, we so he was moving. inside. You're all inside this car, essentially, yep. and the car is moving while this is happening. Yes. Okay. So um, the cop on the other side of the door says, you're not the police. And with that, without incident, the guy turns around and walks away. So I'm sitting there going, well, okay, this is How New far York. were you from this, if you don't mind me asking, from uh, this interaction? Six inches. Oh, wow. It was right in front right of me. Right in front of you. Right in front of okay. me. Okay. So I'm thinking, all right, it's New York, whatever. It's Strange things happen all the time. But then what happens, there was a gentleman standing next to me to my left that basically ran to the door. And now he looks scared to death. And he's tapping on the door, trying to get the cops to come out, tapping, waving, waving. trying, And he's looking over his shoulder at the guy who was just there. So now I'm going, something's up. I don't know what's going on. Where did the guy go who was originally... He, knocking. He walked about halfway back into the car. And, and was he just standing there? Was he sat sitting? Sat down. It, it, this all happened very quickly. Did you happen to get a look at his face at the time? Just anything a side like that? profile. I okay. saw a side profile. Wasn't anything you noticed in particular about him that just would alarm you? dirty. But okay. it's a Saturday morning. He could gotcha. have had a rough Friday night. Who knows? It's sure. New York City. Sure. Know? Did he have uh, anything on him? Was he, How was he dressed? Anything particular Like as far as you said, oh, that's kind of odd or anything? No, because it was, it was February, so okay. he had a coat on. You I got know, you. And he had, I guess, track pants, I, I think, but uh, nothing out of the ordinary for the, for the time of year. Um, so this guy's trying to get the cops to come out. They don't come out. He looks over his shoulder. Now the first guy's starting to walk back up again. And with that, the second guy just comes right back to my side. So now, like if I was Spider-Man, my spidey sense would be tingling. Your antennas and, uh, are up. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, all right, what's going on? So with that, the first guy comes back up. He stops about uh, three feet from the door, about two feet from me. He looks down at me. I look up at him, and he reaches. It's like a movie almost. He reaches from behind his jacket, takes out this eight-inch knife, Jesus. and looks down at me and says, you're going to die, you're going to die, and just jabs it right into my face under my left eye. So you remember that he said that twice to you? Oh, yeah. I still get goosebumps when I say it. And he looked you into the eye? Dead in the eye. We, he's looking down, I'm looking up. He's got the knife like uh, like Rambo, basically, and uh, he just says, you're going to die, you're going to die, and that was it. In People an say things like that happen in slow motion. You just described it like a movie. Was it Yeah. Was it kind of like that in slow motion? In, in th- It probably took him about a second to do the whole thing. Right. I can picture it in my head now, the time it took him to take the knife out. I had time to look at the blade. I saw it was dirty. I thought it was dirt. I found out later it was the blood from the other victims. I, all this happened in a split second, but yes, it happens in slow motion. It's like it's like a scene in a movie, and I remember everything, and I remember looking at the blade, and then next thing you know, it's like the scene in the movie where it's slow, 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 and then pop, and then it goes right back into regular speed. That's what happened when he stabbed me in the face. So like a movie, let's just do this for a second. Before we advance the story, you just said the victims. People listening need to know now who is this guy so let's go back now i know you found out later but yep. who was the guy so the guy that stabbed me ended up being a person named maxim gelman uh what i didn't know was uh until i got to the hospital that day is the prior 28 hours uh he was on a killing spree in uh in new york city well mostly in brooklyn he was on killing spree in brooklyn where he's from and uh it started because he um, he wanted to borrow his mother's car, and his stepfather said no, and he got upset, and he ended up stabbing his stepfather 55 times, killing his stepfather. So then he went on the run. He didn't kill his mother. He didn't kill his mother. He didn't kill didn't his mother. Didn't hurt her, okay. No, and his mother actually was the one who called the police. Okay. Right. Uh, didn't kill his mom, so now he's on the run, and from the reports that I got, he was actually leaving. He he grabbed his passport because he was he was a naturalized citizen. He was from the one thing he did right was actually become a citizen. Believe it or not, <laughs> right. he's originally from Ukraine. Uh, he had his passport. Apparently, he was leaving. He was he was all hopped up on PCP and and he thought the feds were after him. He thought he was this high level drug kingpin. He was really a low level dealer in Brooklyn. Um, 
he was leaving, and then at some point uh, he decided he was going to turn around and settle some scores. So um, the first place he went was this girl uh, named Yelena Bolchenko, someone that he was infatuated with. I think they ran in the same circles for the most part, but they were never romantically involved. She had a boyfriend. It was reported by some that they were, right? Yeah. That was... wasn't necessarily the case? Correct. Yeah. Okay. There were, you know, in, especially in the media nowadays, everyone wants to be first, even yep. if it's not correct. So yep. I think a lot of that was it was um, his ex-girlfriend and everything. But it actually turned out he was just stalking her and, okay. and things like that. She wasn't interested in him romantically. Uh, so he goes to the house, and she's not there, but her mother is there. And her mom won't give up where she is. So he ends up killing the mom. Oh, my god! Kills, kills her mother. Stabs Stabbing her? her? De- stabs her to death, yep. So um, now he's on the run again looking for Yelena. And in the interim, while he's driving, he's on the run and everything. Now the cops are on to him because um, you know his mom had called the cops. And he's on the run. He's carjacking people left and right. I mean, he, he killed four people. He ended up attacking four or five others, you know, get stabbing people in their car. One guy he made jump out of a moving car at like 60, 70 miles an hour. He said, you can jump out or die. Guy jumped out. Um, he ended up, um, when he was on the run, he ended up, I think his name's Steven Tannenbaum. Uh, he ended up running him over. He basically, he Steven Tannenbaum was crossing the street and, he didn't stop or anything break. He just totally obliterated him. He died. Uh, he died. That was that was uh, one of the victims. He was the only victim that didn't die by the knife. Okay. So as the day goes on, later in the day, um, I guess word gets back to Yelena that something happened to her mother. And she heads back to the house. And while she's at the house, Max comes back to the house. And um, he attacks her. He stabs her. And I think he started to walk away. But he looked back and she wasn't dead, so he went back and finished the job. Jeez. And I think he, the reports are he almost decapitated her with the knife. So that's his four murders. You know, Yelena, her mom, his stepdad, and the Stephen Tannenbaum. This was happening on the night prior? 28 hours Tw- prior. The mo- so the it's, morning prior to your incident. Right. This was on February 11th. Yes, uh, February 11th. 2011. Yeah, it was a Friday. Okay. It started. It started early in the morning, maybe four or five in the morning, when he attacked, when he killed the stepdad. So your incident was a Saturday. My incident was Saturday morning, and because it happened all basically in the course of those twenty-four hours, it hadn't reached Philadelphia news yet. Right. So while everyone in New York was aware that this was going on, including the guy that was on the subway with me that must have recognized him right. as the guy, and that's why he was trying to get the cops to come out. I'm the only one on the train oblivious. I don't know who this guy is. So that's why I didn't know who he was. So even though I saw his face, he was just some random guy. Right. So um, so let's go back to, yep. we go back to the subway. Mm-hmm. Um, he pulls out the knife. Yeah. Your first instinct as a man, and you have you always been this big? You're a big guy. Yeah, I've always You're a big guy. All right. I mean, you're, you're, your first instinct is to duck, to move, to charge. What is it? My first instinct when I saw him, stab at me i raised my hands up to protect myself but right. i obviously if you see the scar i didn't do a good job and then i think you did a great job well, by the way that's <laughs> not a great, i mean you no. you look very healthy yeah. and normal to me you don't thank have scars you. all over your face yeah thank you um no and and he and he stabbed me and then when he recoiled his arm pulled it back to stab me again you know and like we talk about the whole thing where you know fight or flight or right. or this or that i didn't want to die I, you know in in that instant and I, it's going to take me longer to explain it, but it, I, I believe it's true. I had to decide if I don't do anything, I'm dead. If I do something, he still may kill me, but I may get off. I may right. get him. So it was pretty much just instinct. He brought his arm back, and I, I charged at him. And uh, I'm a big combat sports fan, so I, I uh, you know, I've been watching MMA and everything since the UFC began, and I, you know, football and, and things like that. So. Initially, through I guess through osmosis, because I hadn't trained in any sort of wrestling or anything at that point, uh, I went for a single leg takedown to try to get him down by the legs. Right. And I shot in a little too high. It ended up being more like a football tackle. So based on where we are, it would be a tackle that might make Daryl Talley uh, proud, you know, <laughs> nice. or Chris Billman or right. something like that. But uh, so what happened is I ended up wrapping my arms around his waist. And I was able to take him down. But while I was doing that, he had free reign at the back of my head. So he ended up stabbing me three times in the head. And that's where my deepest wounds were. That's where the big big time scars are. How deep were some of these wounds? The one down here, um, when I saw a picture of it later, 
basically what happens is the scar goes sort of horizontal on an incline, but when when before they stitched me up, it was completely vertical up wow. and down and the skin spread almost like you know a halloween mask that you put on and before you tuck it into your shirt there's like the flaps yes that was basically the back of my head where you could see part of my skull so that's how deep it went you could see my skull amazing so i i end up taking him down and like i said he's all hopped up on stuff so he's not feeling anything he doesn't drop the knife or anything he's still c- coming at me so i basically mount him i'm in dominant position on top of him and he's still got the knife in his right hand and he's he's slicing up to try to get me and i'm trying to catch it with my left hand so the first time he slices up or or slashes up however you want to say it i try to catch it i missed and he sliced me in the thumb and he sliced me that one went down to my tendon the second time he did it i missed and he sliced me in the tricep and then the third time finally he he swung his arm up i was able to catch it i slammed it down the knife came out and then that's when the cops came out to. And I want to get to that, that part in a second. Yeah. Um, tell me what you're you're thinking about your family during this. Are you thinking about just surviving? I mean, people to say all yeah. different things about oh, when yeah. they're in these situations. And I know it's, it's got to be it's emotional for me to even think about it. I have yeah. a three year old son, but mm-hmm. how old are your kids right now? Well, the big fella here, he's sixteen. Okay. The little guy here is thirteen. And so my wife has just turned twenty one. Okay, so we're talking. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> so we're talking ten and six, basically, yeah, when this happened, right? Ten and seven. Yep. I mean, are they? Are you thinking to yourself anything going through? Are you? You're seeing your life flash before you. I mean, all the all the yep. cliches, I guess, yep. Joe, is what I'm asking. You know, what's going on? The reason why I'm here today yeah. are these three, right. and I probably will get emotional now. I always do when I talk. It's about okay. This. Um, yeah, because I mean, first of all. And I always say, like, I don't know how I would have reacted if I didn't have family. Right. But they mean everything to me. Mm-hmm. It, um, my life begins and ends with the three people here. So <clears throat> that's all I was thinking about. I got to get off this train. They're little, you know. They need a dad. And uh, I want to see them graduate high school. I want to see them graduate college, get married, do, do everything. I got to do whatever I can do to get off this train. It's all I was thinking about. And it's funny that you say the whole thing, you know, you, they say your life passes before your eyes. Right. When things kind of settled down and I was waiting for them to move the train, in my head I'm going, I hope I don't start seeing myself as a baby because I don't wow. want to see my life pass right. before my So, like, I consciously thought that I don't want to see the real of my life going because then I'm going to panic because then it's like, okay, are they – is this my time? You know, did you ever lose consciousness, pass out, anything like that at any point? I did. Uh, what happened was while we waited on the train for an extremely long amount of time to get the train moving so they can get me to a hospital, I was losing blood and uh, at a ferocious rate. Wow. Probably the best way to explain it is next time you're in the shower, put your back to the shower head and watch the water flow down the front of your chest. And that's what the blood was doing. It was a puddle of blood at my feet. I can see the blood on the um, cover of your book. Yeah. By the way, it's called The New York Subway Hero, My Battle with Evil and a Spree Killer. Uh, Joseph J. Lozito, he's joining me here right now, Sal Capaccio, to talk about it. And um, you know, this book, you can see some of these pictures, which are amazing. And then as you're describing it, it, it just sounds horrifying. I'm wondering... Did all of the passengers scatter when this was going on? Were there other people that were trying to help? What was going on inside the car? Basically, what happened was, um, I always say this, when I got on the train, there were a lot more people in the car than when I got up <laughs> off this guy. Right. You know, uh, I think everyone kind of, like I said, we were in the first car, so I think a lot of people ran to the next car. And a few people stayed, but they went to the back of the car. And And what happened was, when the police finally did come out and decided to do their job, um... I was sitting on a subway seat just bleeding. Um, this gentleman named Alfred Douglas, who I, I credit as being the real hero that day because he saved my life, um, he came over and he just – he doesn't know me from Adam and he came over barehanded and put his hand on my deepest wound to try to stem the bleeding. And at some point, people are just standing there and Alfred is – you know, he's trying to calm me down and he's going, you guys are just going to stand here and watch this guy die. You know, help. You know, try to do something to help. Help. And someone gave him paper towels or tissues or something and then he, he did that there. And uh, so Alfred Douglas, he helped me out. He's, he's my hero. So you've mentioned the cops a few times. This is a big part of the story here that I want yep. to get into. The cops were in the car. Yep. 
they never came out, Joe. No. Tell me about that and why that is. And I know this, we can get into the, the back and forth later on. I know yep. this went to court and things like that, but, yep. but why did the cops stay there? I think they were chicken. Uh, basically, what everybody needs to know is the reason why the cops were in the subway in the first place was because a few stops um, uptown from where I would get off, I think it was 96th Street, a woman was reading a newspaper. The, uh, on Saturday, and Gelman actually saw her reading the paper, reading the article about him, confronted her and said, do you see what they're writing about me? It's all lies, and swatted the paper out of her hand. So she freaked out, wow. went up to uh, street level, called the cops and said, I just saw Maxim Gelman, he's in the subways. So the cops sent all hundreds of officers into the subway system. So the cops that were in the subway system that morning were there specifically looking for Maxim Gelman. They were there. They weren't there for any other reason. They were there to look for him. And think about it. I mean, you've been to New York City. You've been, you go to the Yankee games. You, you've been there. You know, think about how many subway cars there are in the city at any one time operating. Right. How many individual cars on a subway? Hundreds of them. What are the chances that they're actually going to be two cops end up in the same subway car with the guy they're looking for? It's minuscule. The, the, the chance of that actually happening yet here it happened. He was looking right at him. They were talking through a talking window, face to face. He could, the cops, and keep in mind, there was a male cop and a female cop. The male cop is bigger than I am, with a gun, with about 20 years experience, with a nightstick and mace. And We're doing audio here. Joe's a big guy. For you to tell me that tells <laughs> yeah. me that's unbelievable that that cop, this big hulking man, yeah. who, by the way, is there to protect and serve, I'm supposed to think, yeah. is that's... standing there looking at a murderer whom he probably recognizes as a murderer and doesn't even come out even after a knife comes out. Of course, yeah. And and, and like I said, the reason why they were there was to arrest this right. guy. And my sister is a cop. I know the protocol, okay? And how I know that they were, obviously, it's common sense will tell you they were down there looking for it. But they, he knew who he was. And the reason why I knew who they, I know that he knew who he was, was because when, all was said and done, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Mm -hmm. When we got to the hospital, and I'm lying on this bed, and they're taking off all my clothes or cutting my clothes off just to see if I'm cut anywhere else, an officer went to the head of the bed with the mugshot of this guy that said wanted, basically. It was like a wanted poster. Says to me, is this the guy who did this to you? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, you're a hero. And I said, I'm not a hero. Why am I a hero? And he said, oh, he killed four people last night. So that was the first time I was aware of what he had done, and I know all the cops had the same right. the same uh, mugshot. And and if I could say this, this is not an indictment of law enforcement. Right. Like I said, my sister is a cop. Uh, my wife has cops on her side of the family. I am I am a supporter of law enforcement. But when someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do, I have no problem calling them out. I believe everyone needs to be held accountable for their actions. And just because they're cops, it doesn't give them the right to pick and choose who they serve and protect. So I'll call these cops out seven ways to Sunday, but it is not an indictment on law enforcement in general. I have the utmost respect for them. Understandable. Yeah. Um, okay. Paramedics get there, I guess, right? They're in the car. I mean, or did, or was it just regular people and cops? How, how did you get your medical attention? How did that all come about? Eventually, after about 20, 25 minutes, when they were positive that there were no more cops on the tracks, uh, they decided that they would get the bleeding guy to uh, an ambulance. And <laughs> we pulled away and we went to the next stop. And where's is... Maxim at this point? I'm sorry. Where, what's going on with him? After, after I took him down, after I disarmed him, and after the cops decided to finally come out, they had handcuffed him. And again... I'll mention Alfred Douglas because Alfred actually helped the male cop, Terrence Howell, handcuff him because his partner was useless and didn't do anything. So Alfred actually got down on his hands and knees and helped detain Max. What happened was we get, he's he's on the ground at 42nd Street. They took him out first. Okay. And then the paramedics, well, the paramedics came in to attend to me. While they were attending to me, they took out Max. Okay. I'm awake this whole time, and I don't feel anything. I have so much adrenaline going. I, the final tally was seven. I was stabbed seven times, um, three times three times in the head, uh, once in the face, once in the knuckle, once in my tricep, and once in my thumb. I don't feel anything because I have so much adrenaline going. When the paramedics got on the uh, subway, they came to, to help me off the subway seat and onto the stretcher. When they lifted me up, that's when I passed out. I, I passed out, but I could still hear things. Sure. 
and when they a matter I was out maybe three seconds because they lifted me up, I passed out, they put me on the stretcher, I woke up. Two things to know when I get on the stretcher. First thing is before I wake up, the cops are behind me talking to me. And they're having uh, talking about me, not to me, talking to each other about me. And I hear the female cop in her conversation refer to me as likely. I don't know what that means. Jump ahead, we're at the hospital. My sister comes and sees me, and we're we're having a conversation. Like I said, she's a cop. I said, hey, um, I said, they called me likely. What does that mean? So my sister, who seems to always have a tan, she's got the Italian skin, she turns white, and she goes, Joseph, what did you say? I said, they called me likely. She goes, that means likely to die. So they were fully expecting me to die there. You know, me, I'll die, the, the truth will die, everything will die with me down on the train. The second thing to know about when uh, they put me on a stretcher, that's when I woke up, and that's when I felt the pain. <laughs> and that was the most excruciating pain. Uh, the best way I could explain it, and I've done it a million times, is shave your head. Like for us, we're already yeah. out of the game. And pour gas on your head and light it on fire. Oh, my gosh. And I can't even explain to you the pain. And it just hit me like a train because, like I said, I guess when I when I passed out, I had the adrenaline dump, and then I woke up, and now there's nothing there, and now it's just pain like I'd never felt before. When did they contact your family? Uh, when we got to the hospital, they were um, – the hospital was great. The detectives at the hospital were great. Everybody at the hospital was, was first class. Um, once, I guess, they got me stabilized, I went in the room and I was talking to the detectives, and he brought up you know, he married this night. I said, yeah. I said, my wife's at work. She's in Philadelphia. Um, I said, uh, but at the time she was working at a gym doing their book. She's working with money. I said, if she sees a number that she doesn't know, she's not going to pick up the phone. I said, give me, give me my phone. Did I text you first? I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. So, so he called and I call her and you know, like I'm, I'm kind of a goofball and everything. So I, I basically say, uh, there was an incident, basically there was an incident on the train. I got stabbed him at the hospital. And she's like, Joe, I'm so busy. I, I don't have time for this stuff, you know, oh my gosh. because I right. have a weird sense of right. humor. Sure, so sure. it's, you know, and you're not, talking probably normal. Right, her. right. I'm talking very trying calm. To, trying not to let her. Exactly. To, to panic her. Exactly. So she's like, come on, I don't have time. It's not. And I'm like, after a few, a few seconds of that, I'm like, okay. I said, I just took a deep breath. I said, Andrea, there was an incident on the train. I was stabbed. I'm at Bellevue. I said, I'm okay. I'm going to put the detective on the phone. He's going to give you all the information. Just, you know, when you get a chance, go home, pack a bag, because we're going to be up here for a few days, and then just come up, talk to the detective. And then it just sounded like bedlam on the other end of the phone. Sure. And now, and I always say this is my least favorite part of the story, because now I'm helpless. I'm in a hospital bed, and now she's going to be hysterical with these two guys sure. who are young, and now I'm in the bed going, they got to drive up here from Philadelphia. And now I'm in a panic because we generally don't drive in New York City anyway. But now she's got to drive in a panic. And, and I give credit to my kids because it, my wife will be the first one to admit it. Even at their age, you know, 10 and 7, the two of them were kind of like the men in the car trying to calm her down, saying, you know, you spoke to him. He's okay. Try to calm down, you know, this and that. And I was, like, blown away when, when they told me that. So that's when they contacted my family. And then um, the detective called my sister like I said, she's a cop, so he called her, and then she called my mother. And then later on in the day, I called my dad because he lives in Kansas, so I let him know. So he wasn't aware of anything. So. I'm going to ask you another tough one. Yep. What was it like to see them the first time they walked in the <laughs> room? It was great because fortunately, out of everything, most of the uh, damage is in the back of my head. Okay. So when they come through the curtain, and I think he walked through first, if I'm not mistaken, the little y guy Younger guy. First. We're on audio here, so yeah. everybody knows you yeah. probably your younger yeah, son. Yeah, that's true. Yep. It's okay. That's okay. Um, I'm glad because basically what they saw was my eye was all busted up. I had a black eye. I had the stitches here, but they couldn't see back here, which I think helped out a lot. Good, yeah. Plus, I think because I was so anxious for them to get there, I think when they walked through, I just got a big smile on my face. And then they came in and we hugged and everything. And I think that kind of – I don't know what they thought they were walking into. So I hope that the way I reacted helped them adjust to what they were about to see. And once they got there – 
it was just like it was like we were just hanging out. You know, I I think I made fun of the plastic surgeon about my <laughs> thumb because he was a bit arrogant and it annoyed me. Um, so I think we just started, uh, you know, shooting the breeze and everything, and and everything was okay at that point. Joel Lazito joining me. The book is the New York Subway Hero: My Battle with Evil and a Spree Killer. This story has two distinct parts to me when I've read about it and I've researched it. One is the event that took place, and then there's the epilogue, which is. The cops not doing what they're supposed to be doing and then basically taking credit for it. So if you can kind of just kind of walk us through the events that led to that and everything leading up to the court case. So when everything happened, I'd like to think I'm a humble person. I'm not looking for credit. Part Mm -hmm. of the part of this whole situation that really annoys me is that I end up talking about myself and I really don't want to do that. That's not my way. And, And if you. If you go on YouTube and, and, and stuff where there are interviews, the beginning of it, I'm just giving credit to cops and firemen. You know, I say I'm not a hero. You know, people put their lives on the line every day. Those are heroes. You know, like like my sister goes to work every day and doesn't know if she's coming home. You know, so to me, I go to work every day. I work in a box office. I'm right. pretty sure I'm coming home that day. So I don't need the accolades or anything like that. And then I was out of work for a few weeks. I come back to work. The first day that I'm back, um, I'm on the phone with a buddy of mine, and I, I notice I'm being followed. And I'm, I just start laughing. Like, I laugh now. Like, I, you know, can you believe this? Excuse me. So um, I said, let me call you back. Someone's following me. So he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, you can't make this stuff up. So I slow my pace. They keep their pace up. And I just turn around, and I'm like, can I help you? And he got startled. He's like, "Oh no, I'm not. I'm not looking for trouble. I'm not looking for trouble. Um, you're you're Joe, right? The guy on the subway." And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Do you have a few minutes to talk?" I said, "Sure." So um, he goes, "I was on the grand jury the day that you testified, and the cops testified. Um, and there's a few things you should know." He goes, first of all, when so you, this, but, but when you say grand jury and testify, that's in what case? That was testify against Gelman. Okay, just yeah. so, we're, so we're, we're to make sure. Okay, yeah. go ahead. So it was the criminal case against Gelman. Uh, I had to testify before a grand jury, basically giving them my account of what happened. Gotcha. Okay. There's always an investigation, something like that, and then he has to obviously go through his criminal proceedings. Right. Okay, go ahead. So I testified that day, and Terrence Howell, the male cop, testified after I did. So um, he goes... I have to tell you, you know, he'd never been through that before. He goes, your testimony, he goes, you had everybody in tears. Like, it was so powerful. You know, he goes, no matter what happened after that, he was getting, he was going to jail. He goes, it was, you know, because they had, between what I was saying and, and, uh, and keep in mind, this was like a couple of days after it happened. So everything was just, I was bundle of nerves and everything. Mm-hmm. And then that, and then they showed pictures of me before I was stitched up. So I, I remember watching them pass the pictures around and some of the people wouldn't even look at the picture. Like if you look this way, all you saw was like a bloody head and people would just grab it and not even look at it and pass it to the next person. So he says, uh, you know, your testimony was amazing. And, uh, you know, he was going to jail no matter what he goes, but there's something you really need to know. And I said, what's that? He goes, you know, after you left, uh, that night I was watching the news and I, I researched a little bit. He goes, and you're giving way too much credit to the police. And I said, you know, police have a tough job. You know, I, you know, I always say my sister's a cop. I'm very proud of her, so I'll, I'll tell everybody. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, not cops in general. He goes, these two cops in particular. And I said, what are you talking about? He says, when you left, Terrence Howell testified. And what he testified to was he said when, when the fight first started, he, he had opened the door to come out. But then he thought that Maxim Gelman had a gun, so he closed the door and stayed inside with the engineer, basically locking himself and his partner in the engineer's cab, leaving a train full of innocent people with a, a, a maniacal killer that he was there to arrest. And he goes, he basically told me, go when he said that, he goes, we all kind of looked at each other like, wait a second, that's not what you're supposed to do. We're, this, you know, we're right. all New York citizens. Right. And he goes, we all had this look on our face, like we're all looking at each other, and. He said when when he was done, he goes he goes all of us basically got up and surrounded the assistant district attorney and said wait a second that's not can he be brought up on charges like it all, he goes it all rubbed us the wrong Correct. way, and he goes now I'm 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 watching you on TV and I'm hearing you on the radio and you're giving credit he goes they did wrong by you, and it was like getting attacked all over again, and now I'm like. Now I got to go home again. I'm still living in Philadelphia, so I got a two and a half hour ride home, and I got to tell my family again. I found out what what really happened, huh. and uh, I was like, Jesus. So 
I'm happy to say I never really needed a lawyer ever before, so I didn't have a lawyer. Right. Um, and I, I was talking to a buddy of mine who was a conductor on a New Jersey Transit, and there just happened to be a lawyer sitting in front of me, and he overheard it, and he was familiar with the story. And he, I forget what kind of law he did, but it wasn't like that kind of law. But he recommended a lawyer to me who then recommended another lawyer to me. And when I met him, uh, he was very enthusiastic about the case, but he didn't like our chances, believe it or not. So... And, you know, what was the case exactly? The case was everybody knows serve and protect. You, you know that the minute you learn about police, police, uh, uh, you know, they're here to serve and protect. Mm-hmm. And every time you see, uh, no matter what police force it is, the brass is always going to say, we're here to protect and serve the citizens. This is what we do. We protect and serve. So when it suits a purpose, they'll tout that. Right. All the time. So you sued the New York City Police Department? I sued New York or, City, okay, the police department, and the transit um, because the uh, because it's all basically an umbrella. The transit yeah. and the police are all under New York City. And for, for not protecting you? For negligence. Correct. Because, you know, my thing is, if this was a random attack, nobody knows who this guy is. He's just a random lunatic. Mm-hmm. How would, They don't know this guy's going to attack me. So I don't hold them accountable because you can't watch every single person that's out on the street. Right. But when you're when you're in a situation where you're out there specifically looking for someone and that person presents themselves to you on a silver platter and you do nothing and then that person attacks someone and you again do nothing. That's negligence. That's what everybody says. Except for? Except when I went to my lawyer, he says, this is what's going to happen. He goes, we're going to introduce the case. It'll be brought to court. Uh, We'll go through a discovery phase where we exchange uh, evidence. And he goes, and then they're going to try to dismiss the case. And I say, well, yeah, that sounds about right. Why wouldn't they? You know, it seems like, you know. He goes, and here's why they're going to dismiss the case. And he showed me a few cases where it said that the police do not owe a duty to protect. Okay. And basically what that is, and and most of the examples they used in dismissing the case were orders of protection cases. And what basically what happens is, let's say I'm, I'm beating my wife, and now my wife gets an order of protection against me. It's a piece of paper. I mean, it's, it's nothing. It's really not, it's, it's, it's basically something on the books. It doesn't protect anybody. Right. And now what happens is one night in a fit of rage, I go and I kill her. And now her family wants to sue the police because, well, you had an order of protection. That's supposed to protect it. And then the police are going to say, we have 500,000 orders of protection. We only have X number of officers. We can't put someone out of everybody's house as an order of protection. And in that case, they're right. You, right. Can't, you can't police what might happen. Right. So in the case of an order of protection, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. In my case, it doesn't make any sense. But the judge ruled that, um, you know, uh, let me let me backtrack a little bit. At a certain point, my lawyer called me and said, listen, I don't see any way I can win this case for you. Because I, I want to give you, I want to tell you this with enough time that either you can just um, not carry it on any further mm-hmm. or just recuse me and you can try to find another lawyer. So I said, okay. He goes, I just, you know, I, I, he worked very hard on it. He met with a lot of other lawyers, colleagues and everything, and they just, they couldn't find a way around this. So I said, all right, I, I, you know, I didn't want to start the process again and because um, I, I really like – his name's Ed and I think he's a great lawyer. And I said, well, I said to him, I said, Ed, honestly, if you can't find a way around this, what are the chances another lawyer is going to find a way around this? He goes, I don't think there's a very good chance, but you're yeah, more right. than welcome to try. He goes, mm-hmm. I just don't think I can do the job for you. Okay. And then I said, I have a stupid idea. Could I represent myself? He goes, absolutely. He goes, and and honestly, he says, the judge may be more sympathetic in a case like this if you represent yourself. He goes, I I would still try to find a lawyer, but it's called uh, pro se. Okay. Okay. I think I made a few calls, and everyone, I kind of, after I explained everything to them, it was, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. So I said, you know what? I've come this far. I can't just stop. I can't go home at night and look my kids in the eye and look my wife in the eye and say, look, we're giving up. I I need to know I did everything in my power to do this. So um, the next court appearance, 
uh, we we hadn't we'd never seen the judge. It was always the clerks or whatever. The next court appearance, I went in and I asked for an extension because I was going to take the case on myself. And although they didn't seem happy, they gave me a little bit of time. And then basically, I spent the next however many weeks it was uh, before work, after work, on my days off. I basically went on Google. I researched every case that they cited, which was hundreds, mm-hmm. and I refuted every single one of them. And I basically said, why, this has nothing to do with this. They, let's say they cited 150 cases, and there's I cited a lot of them in the book. You'll see none of them have any similarity to my case. And... Uh, I couldn't even tell you how many man hours that took, but it was it was it was a project, but it was important to me. You sure. know, like I said, I, I need to know I've done everything I could do, and uh, ultimately, when it was dismissed in her uh, in her dismissal, the judge basically, I mean, she's very complimentary. She, she it basically, in so many words, says, "I believe everything you said, everything you said, I believe one hundred percent, but I can't." I can't let this go to case. And, and and that's the part, I can't let it go to court. That's the part that bothers me. Like, I, look, I'm not looking to get rich off this. I mean, I'm not going to lie. If something were to come my way, right. of course, I have two young kids. I got to pay for college, you know, things like that. So I'm not going to go, no, no, you keep it. If it were to come my way, that's fine. If I don't care, though. I just wanted the truth to be out there. Okay. And, uh, and I always said, if we go to court and if we go to trial and I win and you award me a dollar, I'm fine with that. I just want it to be on the books that I did this. They didn't do this. Let, let's let go sit in front of a jury. I'll give you my truth. You give them your truth and let them decide because I can account for every single movement I made that day. I, I, rem, I remember everything crystal clear. The cop story is the one who changed. His story was one story the day at the grand jury and it was another story when they submitted their paperwork. That's all I wanted was an opportunity. And I never got the opportunity, and that's the part that will always burn me, is that I never had the opportunity to to basically speak my mind in front of a jury of my peers and have them rule on it. That's the frustrating part, and I don't. it'll never happen. Well, you have outlets like this, like your book, hopefully, where people can understand a little bit more, and if that's any solace at all. But what happened to Maxim? Maxim got 50 years for every murder and 25 years for attempted murder of me. So he's in some jail upstate New York, not... Attica. Uh, I don't remember where it is, but uh, so he's in jail for life. He's got 225 years. Um, I'm pretty cut and dry guy. I wouldn't mind getting an email from someone that he killed himself. And I hope that doesn't offend anybody. Um, But uh, the idea of him, uh, of him living, because now since then, uh, within a year of it happening, uh, my family moved back to Long Island. So I'm, I'm a New York resident. I work in New York. And the idea of him living off my tax dollars still, you know, kind of grates on my nerves a little bit. And, um, you know, I try to just be a a calm guy, a peaceful guy. I live my life. You live yours. Don't involve yourself in my life. And he did. So uh, if I were to get a phone call or an email saying, just to let you know, um, he's gone, I might, I'm not a dancer, but I might do a dance that day. So, Joe, uh, one of the reasons I reached out to you, in fact, the reason I know about you is uh, you're a Bills fan. And, and and I happened to notice it was actually an exchange. Del Reed from 26 Shirts had tweeted something about you, and it was the anniversary, I believe, of the attack, and you had tweeted it. And through a series of retweets, I happened to come across it, and I started looking at this and thinking, who is this guy? And I started researching, which was amazing. And ironically, you're wearing a 26 Shirts yes. today shirt yes. uh, as we talk. How did you become a Bills fan? You're not from Buffalo, from what you told me. I'm not from Buffalo, and in the book I, I mention it. I, I can't trace it exactly. I think... What happened was um, when I was growing up, we lived downstairs from my grandparents and my uncle, who even though it was my uncle, he's like a young uncle, so he's only like maybe eight or nine years older than me. And he loved Joe Namath. He loved the Jets. And uh, it wasn't a case where, you know, you want to root, you know, like you're back in the day, your dad likes the Yankees, yeah, so you're right, going to like the right. Brooklyn Dodgers. It wasn't like that, but I, I'm I'm thinking what happened was I was watching a game with him. It was probably Jets and Buffalo. And my name is Joe, and the Bills had Joe Ferguson. <laughs> yeah. And his name, my uncle's name was Joe, and the Jets had Joe <laughs> Namath. And I don't know if it was the helmets or whatever it was, but I just kind of latched onto the Bills in the late 70s. I love Joe Ferguson. And ever since then, I, I've stuck with this team. It, it's basically a passion of mine. Um, I just love them. You know, my wife's here nodding her head because she knows it. It's just I like, I like baseball. I like hockey. I like combat sports. Uh, I just I love the Bills. I'm always optimistic about it. every year I say they're going to finish 12 and 4. Um, <laughs> right. I, I just, 
I, I uh, you know, it, in part of this trip while we're here now, we were up in Niagara Falls, but the first day we were here, we had to stop in Buffalo because I'd never been, I've never been to a game. I'm dying to get to a game. I've, I've seen them on the road. I've seen them at the Meadowlands. I've seen them in New England, uh, right. Philadelphia. I've never been to a game up here. We're dying to get to a game at some point. Um, but I wanted to go and take pictures around the stadium, and, and, and uh, I wanted to go see the old War Memorial site. And, every, yeah. and, and basically, I was, I was a, a Buffalo Bills tourist here. Did you get to do all that? I did. And actually, um, I said I emailed a bunch of people saying, I'm coming up for the day. What can I actually do? You know, what, all right, so I, I, I pegged off the War Memorial, uh, went to New Airfield. Um, you know, I uh, one of the memorabilia stores I went to, I have to get some wings. But I, I said I, I want to make sure I get the whole Bills kind of experience when I'm up here because then when I go home, it's back to normal. And then hopefully at some point we can come up and maybe catch a game and, and do something. But uh, Well, anybody you know. who's listening to this, Joe <laughs> underscore Lozito yes. on Twitter would love to come up to a Bills game <laughs> and uh, experience what it's like at New Era Field for a game. What's it like living in the household? Your wife's not a Bills fan, right? She is. She is? She is. Okay, and, good. And here's a great story. Right. Um, we were not together. We've been together a very long time. But when they played the Giants in the Super Bowl, we were not together. But because her family was a big Giants household, she actually was rooting for the Bills in that game. <laughs> so, and then since good. we met, she, when we met, we didn't. she didn't really have a rooting team. Like, she'll root for the Giants, I think, but she didn't really have a rooting interest. So she just came on board uh, on board with me, and she's as, as big a Bills fan as I am. And, uh, you Are know, kids Bills fans? They're not big into football, right? Um, but we always talk about when when Joey, my oldest, was born was around the time Drew Bledsoe came aboard. So you know he'd run around the house in his Drew Bledsoe jersey, and and at the time we had uh, satellites, so we'd watch all the games, and he would go in front of the TV, and he had the football where if he spiked it on the floor, it played shout. So it was, uh, you know, nice. now he's more worried about academics, which is fine with me. Uh, but yeah, so I think it's just like I said, I, I don't. Um, I don't care about a lot of things. Like, I don't have a lot of interests, let's say. Um, outside of my family, which is the most important thing. Of course. I'm kind of a boring person, to be <laughs> honest with you. I always say I have one good story. You know, I just have one good story. My wife will tell you I'm very boring. I'm passionate about certain things. The bills are just something I'm passionate about. I, I, and probably for the two weeks prior to our trip, I was uh, um, tweeting at uh, Kim Pagula every day. Hey, I'd love to shake your hand. I'd love to meet the person that, that kept the bills in Buffalo. Because when that whole thing was going on with the sale, like I'm I'm at a distance, but I'm listening about Bon Jovi. His group wants to buy them and move them. Right. And I'm I'm getting, to this day, I can't I can't hear his music. I never liked him <laughs> to begin with. You and a lot of Buffalonians. But yeah, and, and, I, and, and like people are like, oh, you got to let it go. You, you got to let it go. And I said, no, because, you know, and now that I've seen the city, like I, even before I, I came up here to see the city, I would say, if the bills were to leave the city, what would that do to the I city? Know. Like how many people would lose their jobs and how many – it would just be, you know, to me it would just be a disaster. Rip the heart out. And, Absolutely. And I say if, if Bon Jovi is such a football fan, buy your team, the Giants – and move them to Canada and there see you if go. you're ever welcome back in the New York, New Jersey area. <laughs> Don't, you know, leave the bills alone. Leave this is I, the people up here are so nice. And it's such to me, it, it's it's such a community. It is. And, you know, like I said, my dad lives in Kansas. He's not a huge sports fan, but he, he's become a little bit of a fan since he's been out there. And he says on Sundays when the Chiefs play, the city just shuts down. Yep. And when we lived in Philadelphia, it was the same thing with the Eagles. You know, we're in a we're in a town now. We have like 11 or 12 pro teams down in New York where we are in, in New York City and Long Island. So our first experience being in a, in a town with one team per sport was in Philadelphia. And now you have Buffalo up here where you have two teams. And now you're going to take away the biggest team and really the heartbeat of the city. I, I couldn't – that annoyed me. And to this day, I, I, I'm not really one for violence, but I wouldn't mind punching him in the face, Bon Jovi. <laughs> it, it was uh, – it's disturbing. But we're glad that's, that never happened. And yeah. And we're uh, glad that we have owners here now that uh, are keeping the team, obviously. That's you know? Yeah, that's why I was tweeting at her going, I just want to shake your hand and say thank you. You know, yeah. And I'm not even from here. So I, I, even though I, I, I love them with all my heart, I'm not from here. So I can only imagine for people who are from here how grateful they are. And the ownership now that you have you have good ownership. Yep. And I and I love the direction the team's going in now. I love I love the coaches and everything. I, I, I like I said, I predict twelve and four every year. <laughs> um but it's gotta it, it, the city must be you know, when we were in Philadelphia and the Eagles were good during, you know, the Donovan McNabb days and and the year they had Terrell Owens and, and then and went to the Super Bowl, everybody walked 
a foot taller on Monday morning. Yeah. You know, the Eagles win, and you're out there, and you got your, your shoulders are your, your heads up, you're smiling and everything. And I just pictured that. I just pictured Buffalo in the area on, on a Monday morning after a Bills win. Everybody just must walk a little bit taller. And somebody wanted to take that away from everybody, and I, I can't go for that. Before I um, let you tell everybody where they can get the book, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. how was your health, your faculties after everything that you went through? I the only lasting damp for a while there I had headaches all the time. Okay. And um I don't know if that was physical or if it was mental. Um I do I do still have some anxiety. Um I I don't like being around crowds, which I never did, but now it affects me more. Do you have flashbacks? Uh not flashbacks because I can remember it. I, okay. I remember everything and it doesn't really bother me. Dreams? No. Okay. No, no dreams. It, it, anything I do in terms of that day, uh, if I if it's in my head, it's I'm I'm thinking of it. You know, like uh, it's on purpose. Um, there's some damage to my to my thumb here where where I got stabbed. There, it, it's still functional. Maybe it's eighty percent, eighty five percent. It's not a hundred. Um, and then just aside from the scars and and like I said, I do there are some mental things like anxiety wise. But you know, I, I always downplay that because I'm I'm here. Because I should be dead. And anyone that was on the train with me that day and saw the blood I lost and everything knows I should be dead. So I'm just fortunate to be here. So I always try to downplay everything because I'm lucky to be alive. Thank you very much for the book. Where can people get it and read it? Uh, you can get it on uh, Amazon or you can go to tinyurl.com uh, forward slash Lozito book. Tinyurl.com forward slash Lozito book. It's called The New York Subway Hero, My Battle with Evil and a Spree Killer. Joseph J. Lozito. Bills fan who was through something unbelievably uh, traumatic. We're thankful you're here. We thank you join. I thank you for joining me here uh, on this program. Thanks a lot, Joe, and uh, and really uh, best of luck and uh, good health to you in the future. And for the Bills, of course, maybe oh, they can get the playoffs for you. That that'd be great. Oh, I'm predicting Super Bowl this year. So <laughs> of course uh, you are. thanks for having me, Sal. Thanks for reaching out. It's an honor to be here. And it was obviously an honor to speak with Joe. Incredible story right there. I hope you enjoyed the very first edition of the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. I promise a lot more is headed your way. Head over to WGR550.com. You can download us, subscribe to us on iTunes. If you can't yet, you will be able to very soon. And we hope to really get those subscribers up. Follow me on Twitter at Sal Sports. If you have any ideas for people you'd like to hear from, maybe someone that really has an interesting story, powerful story to share, Don't hesitate to reach out to me at Sal Sports here at the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. Thanks a lot again. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.